Tony! How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Are you down in Kenai? How did you know? I was, I was, had a bet. I was like, I bet Tony gets this. I am. 9,000 hotels I have to keep track of. I know them all. Everybody, Tony Capuano, President and CEO, Marriott. Good for you. How long have you been at Marriott, sir? I need to know this question. It's 30 years or something. Yeah, uh, next month I'll celebrate my 29th anniversary. 29. What What was job one? What was first job? Uh, first job right out of school was Laventhal and Horwath as a consultant yep. in their uh, Boston office, in their leisure yep. advisory group. Wait, remind me, where'd you go to school? You're a Cornelli, aren't you? I am, yeah. Cornell undergrad and uh, graduated in 87. And uh, uh, Laventhal, I think in 86, probably over-recruited a little bit. And yep. uh, in 87, they only hired two of us coming out of, of the hotel school, myself and my friend Michelle Russo. And uh, oh, so we were the only two that went to Laventhal. And I spent a couple years there. And uh, after four years in Ithaca, New York, and two years in Boston, I'd had enough. And uh, I quit my job, uh, got in my car, and drove to Los Angeles. Uh, no job, no prospect. Uh, went to Hermosa Beach, bartended, and played some volleyball for about a year. And then joined uh, the L.A. office of Kenneth Leventhal and Company before they'd been acquired by Ernst & Young. So they yeah. were very much a boutique real estate firm, whether it was audit, tax, consulting, everything they did was real estate focused. But did you know you want to do hotels? I mean, did you go to Cornell doing hotels? Yeah, I, what, I mean, I had worked say? in restaurants as a kid growing up, and uh, that's really what attracted me to Cornell. I, it wasn't on my radar necessarily, but my dad was a career AT&T guy. And he used to commute into D.C. with somebody that was uh, a lobbyist for AH and L.A. And he was the one that suggested I go up and look at Cornell. And I just fell in love with the program. Love it. And uh, and the rest is history. So, yeah. so and, then when you by the way, I have a daughter yeah. that just graduated from the hotel school. In uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. So we're, we're two generations in. Where, so where is she? She just graduated in May. What's she doing now? Well, she loves food and beverage operations. And I think wisely said, I'm not going to come work for your company as much as I yeah. love it. I got to make my own way. So she that management pro uh, training program with Dorchester Collection. And she's oh. at the Beverly Hills Hotel working in Polo. Good, Good for her. Yeah, that, there's, that ops training is, there's nothing to replace yeah. that. Yeah, and she loves it. Good for her. All right, so what, how did you get to Marriott? What said, I want to go to Marriott? So it's, uh, it's interesting. Cornell Career Services does an amazing job. Uh, and if you apply yourself even a little bit uh, while you're a student there, you end up with lots of interviews, hopefully a handful of job offers. Uh, when I was a senior there, I interviewed with eight companies. I was lucky enough to get seven job offers. And I often joke that I carried around that one rejection letter for about 30 years. Because uh, that one rejection letter was from Marriott. And, oh, that's hysterical. And, uh, but you know what? They were right. 
And, and one of the things that I treasure about our company and its culture uh, is the company's humility. And I think probably when I was a, a brash 21-year-old coming out of Cornell, I thought I knew everything. And, and the on-campus recruiter likely looked at me and said, he needs to go get fumbled out in the market a little bit. Uh, but I had lots of friends that that worked for the company, and I stayed in touch with them. And uh, the company went through some challenges in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, but when they got into the mid-90s, they started to rebuild the development team and the feasibility team. And I was lucky enough to join feasibility in 95 and come back to Bethesda. And if you look at our history... In 95, we made that initial investment in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. In yep. 97, we acquired Renaissance. And it almost sounds funny now when you look at the breadth of our brand portfolio. Uh, but when we bought Renaissance, in effect, we tripled the number of full-service brands we had. And so Jim Sullivan, who was my predecessor running global development for the company, decided we needed to increase the size of our, our full-service North American development team. And so he added three more developers and I went back to the West Coast and ultimately led our development efforts for the Western US and Canada until I came back to the, the headquarters. That would have been, I guess, in 04 or 05. So full service, always on the full service development side. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking timing. Somewhere in those late 90s, mid 90s was Courtyard and Residence Inn and some of those iconic yeah. brands too. Yeah, and when I went to Newport Beach in in um, ninety seven, uh, we had an integrated development team. Uh, I was leading our full service efforts. A woman named Joy Barry was leading our select service efforts, uh, and as you would expect, we were joined at the hip and uh, hopefully did a lot of great deals and uh, really grew the company's footprint out west. Uh, I, yeah, that's great. So, what years? That was from when to when? So I was in Newport from 97 till 04 or 05. Yeah. And yeah. then and around they... that time, we uh, I worked for John Williams, who ran Full Service North America. And then we spun off Diamond Rock. And you might recall John went yeah. to be president of Diamond Rock. And I was lucky enough to, to follow John running our North American team. And that's when I went back to headquarters. I, I just, that's why I love our industry. Just there's such overlap, a little incestuous. Yeah. Uh, we've all worked together. We've all been around. Yeah, that's long. right. So, all right. So then you went back to headquarters and, and, and ran, you started running all the development. That's what I remember. That's yeah, that was in about had. 09 uh, when yep. Jim Sullivan, who was just a legendary leader for the company, really uh, ran development for the company with an iron fist for about 25 years. And, and, you know, there's a long list of accomplishments. He was the one that, that led the effort to acquire Ritz-Carlton. He was the one that really uh, pushed the company to open international development offices, which was the foundation for the explosive growth in our international footprint that we've seen. But in 08, Jim decided he wanted to think about retiring. And, and the company gave me this massive gift. They... Uh, announced that Jim would be retiring a year later and that I would succeed him. So in effect, I had this year-long apprenticeship with Jim. So I, I was you know, joined at the hip with Jim for that interim year. I worked on the budget with him, the long-range plan, on bonus plans, um, attended Mr. Marriott's staff meeting for a year. And so it was this incredible opportunity 
to prepare to try and fill those huge shoes. And then was lucky enough to take over global development and own up. We, we talk a lot in our industry, but even on this program uh, about mentors, how important mentors are in our world. So I, I'm with you. The fact now you have Jim, he knows he's retiring. He's not threatened. He's like, come on, I'm going to make you the best. Here's all the mistakes I made. Don't do this. I'm going to make you the best you you can be. Yeah, and I haven't need talked more of that. about this much externally, but I, you know, the, on the long list of gifts that Jim gave me, the uh, the last board meeting that he and I attended together uh, before he retired, it, I remember it was at the Ritz Carlton in Fort Lauderdale, and he and I were down there. We were having lunch, and uh, he reached into his briefcase, and if if anybody that knew Jim, he loved this this, uh, these pads of graph paper. That's what he always wrote all his notes on and, and jotted down as he was structuring deals. And he reached in his briefcase and he pulled out 31 pages of handwritten notes. And it was clear he had spent that year essentially writing how to run global development. And it was philosophical perspectives. It was much more tactical. Here's how you should manage your calendar. Here's who you should meet with. And we spent about six hours going through this, this Bible he had prepared to try and set me up for success. And, and I'll be forever grateful for the amount of energy he invested in trying to set me up for success. Yeah, we'd all love to have that Bible, wouldn't we? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, to this day, I'll pull it out probably sure. once a year and just flip through it. And it's it's remarkable, uh, the wisdom that he imparted. And I think your comment about mentors, I mean, all of us, I was, I was with my team in Seattle, my leadership team earlier this week. And at dinner, one of the things we talked about, um, what a gift it's been to work with folks like Bill Merritt. I was up in New Hampshire with him a few weeks ago. And to just sit with him and and... Um, let him impart the the institutional knowledge and wisdom that he's gained over, you know, half a century leading this amazing company. It's just invaluable. So give, give me, I'm, my brain goes, so give me the same thing. Did you have the same luxury with Arnie when you transitioned and took over Arnie? Well, so, I mean, I had the, the privilege to work with Arnie for almost 25 years, uh, a generational leader, uh, yes. remarkable, not only business leader, but just a remarkable human being. Um, kind, Amen. thoughtful. Um, one of the things I've said to folks when that, that sad day came when we lost him and you read all these amazing tributes about him, w- one of the things that really stood out to me, most of them really didn't talk about what an incredible business leader uh, he was. They talked about his humanity and and his ability to really connect with people. Folks that maybe only met him for 10 minutes in the lobby of one of our hotels um, but the fact that he was so present and so engaged, even in those short interactions, he was the best listener I've ever met in my life. And as a result, even somebody that had a short uh, uh, time spent with him really felt like they got to know him. And uh, uh, that ability to really listen and engage is something I've certainly tried to emulate. But he was extraordinary. Yeah, he was next level, right? Next level leader, next level human next being. Best had that it factor uh phenomenal for our industry i mean phenomenal for our industry so huge loss and again i'm sure he left all of us with stuff that we could copy and emulate yeah so you know it's funny i i think about this often At, at the time that he said this to me i obviously didn't know how personally impactful it would be to me but 
uh, right after we did the Starwood transaction, uh, we did what he termed the world tour. So he took all of his direct reports and we took about 10 or 11 days and we flew around the world and we visited every Starwood office in the world. We toured dozens and dozens of Starwood hotels and really just to try to start the, the, the um, cultural immersion. And, and bring them into the, the Marriott family. And so it was, it was exhilarating and exhausting simultaneously. And we found ourselves on uh, every continent at all sorts of strange hours. And, and uh, I think we were maybe in Dubai and uh, we were up late one night and I'd never really had the chance to talk to him one-on-one -on -one about following in Bill Marriott's footsteps. And I, and I just said to him, I said, boy, I, I can't even imagine you know, here's arguably the, the, the most iconic leader in the history of our industry. How did you think about taking on that role? Um, following an iconic leader like that, first non-family member CEO in the history of the company. And he said, when Mr. Marriott uh, told him that, that he was going to be our next CEO, he said, Arnie, you know, I and the board selected you because we have absolute confidence in your ability to lead this company. He said, the only advice I'll give you, the only reason I think you could ever fail in this job is if you try to be me. He said, you were selected because we yeah. believe Ernie Sorensen can lead this company. And, and that's why we picked you to be the next CEO. So, you know, I hope maybe you, you saw a few uh, things that I did that you might pick up on, but you've got to go run this company as Arnie Sorensen. And, and I remember tucking that away. And then when that, that just devastating day came when, when we lost him, and then I got the news that I was, I was going to try to, uh, you know, follow in his footsteps. I remember thinking about that and I yeah. thought, you know, nobody can ever replace Arnie. Nobody can ever be Arnie. There are certainly some attributes like being such an engaged, deliberate listener that I would try to emulate. Um, but I only know how to be me and, and it would be folly to think that I could be Arnie. And so I just, you know, I would try to learn some of the things that I learned watching Mr. Marriott for 25 years, some of the things that I learned watching Arnie for 25 years. Um, and I feel just so blessed to have had the opportunity to work with those two generational leaders. Yeah, it's funny. You have the unenviable position, right? Same speech goes for you that went for Arnie, right? Yeah, How are you right. He's following Marriott? You're following Arnie. Boy, those are big shoes to fill. Although uh, I will tell I... you, what a what a gift for me to still have the ability to talk to Mr. Marriott every week. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, what, you what an extraordinary resource. You still talk every week? I do. Good. Yeah, he's because he's an engaged. Oh engaged. sure. You know, uh, you know, he's in his early 90s and uh, he's as engaged and focused on the company as he's ever been. Uh, you know, his youngest son, David, is now chairman of our board. Mr. Marriott is yep. in the role of chairman emeritus, but he is still as passionate and engaged about our company and our associates as he's ever been. And the ability to tap that wisdom and to just sit and talk with him about what he's experienced about a lifetime in, in, in hospitality uh, is, is remarkable. Well, if I if I may suck up a little, you're the right guy for the job. You are the right next person. You've been there. You're part of the family. There's, I know they feel the huge loyalty there. You've learned from them. Generous. You know who Thank they you. are. You know, it's um, 
when I got the job, I remember doing a bunch of media and folks essentially, you know, in different ways, they said, you must be terrified. And I said, well, if I had to do it myself, I would be terrified. I said, but the two things that give me some measure of comfort, I said, number one, I get to work with this incredible leadership team, this long tenured battle tested leadership team who are my friends and colleagues for decades. And number two, hundreds of thousands of loyal, passionate Marriott associates. Uh, The first day I had the job, I received tens of thousands of emails from Marriott Associates around the world, essentially saying, tell us what you need. And and, uh, it was hard not to be optimistic about the future of the company. And and now, as I have the opportunity to travel around the world, visit our hotels, see that passion, see that enthusiasm, that's probably the biggest source of optimism I have. So I love it. And we're all about people. But now now I'm thinking... I mean, how many, how big is Marriott? How many employees? How big of a job is it to be responsible uh, in charge of? I mean, there are about 600,000 folks that put on a Marriott name badge every morning. Exactly. Exactly. No, no pressure, boss. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, the pressure is to create opportunity for them. Opportunities right. to grow their career every day. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about some of your accomplishments and some what you've been doing, getting into the boring stuff. But I think you've done a bunch. Obviously, Marriott's grown from when you started, right? We all know 30 brands, et cetera. But I think there's even more uh, depth to what's happened. Um, my my brain goes to the MGM uh, yeah. merger. I mean, that's sort of next level complicated stuff. Give me 30 seconds on that. Sure. So, uh, you know, it's funny. I mentioned earlier that I I started my development career with the company out in Las Vegas. Um, Most folks may not remember this. We actually had a signed management agreement to do a Marriott Marquis on the backside of the MGM Grand, where they ultimately built that theme park. And uh, so if I'm Don Quixote doing a uh, putting a big Marriott presence on the Las Vegas Strip was my windmill. And uh, until recently, I was relatively unsuccessful. Um, but when MGM acquired uh, the Cosmopolitan and decided they yeah. would end the loyalty relationship they had with one of our competitors, uh, their CEO, Bill Hornbuckle, who I've known for a long time, reached out to talk about uh, the Cosmopolitan. And that co- that conversation led to Uh, us together exploring whether there was an opportunity to do something more broadly. And uh, I'll tell you, it's it's not only a great opportunity for Marriott International, but what's really exciting to me is the opportunity it creates for our Bonvoy members to have tens of thousands of incredible rooms on that Las Vegas Strip and in some other destinations, but on the Las Vegas Strip, millions of square feet of -of state-of-the-art meeting space, 500 food and beverage outlets yeah, wow. to incredible entertainment and sports content. Um, both our transient guests and our, our group uh, customers are real. And we already hear it. They are so excited about what we're going to be able to offer them uh, in that destination. It's, it's a big, big win for us. Yeah. You got to be pretty proud of the Bonvoy overall. I mean, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. The, um, When we did the Starwood transaction, one of the things we knew intuitively, uh, there might not have been a more passionate set of customers 
than the SPG members. Mm -hmm. um, they loved that program. And so we knew one of the most challenging and delicate challenges that lied in front of us uh, was going to be to integrate the old Marriott Rewards program and SPG. Uh, and, and in some ways, you know, maybe we still get a little bit of an incomplete. I think Bonvoy is a fabulous program. I think the vast majority of the, the members are ecstatic. There are elements of Bonvoy where there are some SPG members that still long for elements of the old program. Our hope is if there are things that they still wish we offered, uh, what they're missing is offset by the, the pure breadth of the, the portfolio that they can now access. Uh, and, and we are still modifying the program uh, based on what we hear from our customers every day. Um, for instance, Great. the ambassador program. You know, we, we moved away at one point from having the individually assigned ambassadors. And we heard loud and clear from our ambassadors Um even though you made that change, we're still calling our individual ambassadors because they're our friends, they're a member of our family. And, and so we pivoted back and now we've re-instituted uh, the individual ambassador program. And so from my perspective, the best way to build the industry's most powerful loyalty platform, it's not that complicated. It's listen to our guests, listen to our members. And that's what we endeavor to do every day. Uh, good for you. And yeah, you got to balance the developers with the guests, with the Bonvoy members. You got to balance everybody. Well, um, and I, I think, you know, Teague, you point out the complexity of our business model. I have often said to folks, for all of our leaders around the world, every morning we show up and there's a Rubik's Cube sitting on our desk, right? And to solve that Rubik's Cube, you're trying to balance the wants and needs yeah. of all right. of the constituents that we serve. That starts with our associates our guests and our owners and franchisees. And, and sometimes those wants and needs are diametrically opposed. And so we're not going to be perfect, but we endeavor to strike the right balance uh, with the wants and needs of each of, each of those constituents. Are we ever going to brand apartments? We're doing it Is now. That a thing? That's and we really lean in into that. Is that, how's that going to go? We are. How's that working? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's in its relative infancy. But again, you know, I just talked about trying to balance the wants and needs of those constituents. Right. We hear loud and clear from our owner community and from our guests that for a certain type of trip purpose, that really meets their needs. And so, yeah, we're leaning in hard and we're leading in hard to extended stay. I mean, obviously, with the, with residents in. We've been a leader for as long as, as extended stay has existed, and we want to lengthen that lead. Uh, just yesterday, I was down in Fort Myers, Florida, with our friends at Concord and Whitman Peterson, and I got to put a shovel in the ground for the first uh, studio res, which we did the groundbreaking for yesterday. And so I think on all fronts of extended stay, we're, we're leaning in hard and we want to lengthen that lead. I love it. You're at the groundbreaking for a studio res, and I'm in Mexico at the San Regis. <laughs> yeah, well, you, maybe that you feels right. That feels view, right. But, uh, but I was excited to be there. It was fantastic. Who, so, talk to me about studio res, because I know that's a new hot brand, because you didn't have enough. But um, that's uh, that, that, that's going to explode. I mean, there's a it lot sure of talk, is. a lot of buzz about that. Yeah, you know, uh, when I came off stage after making my remarks, I introduced my friend Mark Laporte. He came up to make a few remarks. 
He talked about the fact that they're going to build more than 50 studio res. Oh, wow. Noah Silverman and Eric Jacobs on my team. Uh, they, they are having active discussions on three or 400 uh, sites to build studio res across the U.S. and Canada. So it is a product that is really resonating with our, our development partners across the country. Give me the quick nuances of it. It's below residence and below town place suites. Yeah, is I mean, workforce housing a, or not quite? Say again. Is it workforce housing or not quite there? It can be. I mean, I think it serves yeah. a lot of needs. It's it's temporary assignment. It can be uh, medical staff that's on temporary assignment. It can be construction crews. It can be temporary consultants. It can be a whole variety of folks that need a live work type of environment for 30 plus days. Every all the developers we're talking to, everybody's leaning in to that. Whether it's Mark, whether it's a lot of the guys, yeah. so I think you're going to ramp up very quickly. I think so too. You probably saw our friend Mitch Shaw uh, just closed yep. Fund Five. Uh, I think we're going to do a lot of studio res work with Mitt, and um, you know our, our partners. I, I think are particularly adept at looking around the corner. Uh, they spend a lot of time talking to their guests. And I think they, like us, have a really good feel for where consumer preferences are going. And they all feel really strongly that the demand for affordable extended stay is growing by leaps and bounds, and they want to get out in front of it. Yeah, it's arguably a whole new segment. I mean, I know yeah. it's existed forever. I understand that. But it's been very underserved. Yeah, I think that's all right, What's the rest of the pipeline look like? 2024, what's the rest of the pipeline look like? Big year for development or we got some headwinds? Absolutely. Yeah, we, um, you know, we'll, uh, we're, I'm sure I'll see you maybe out in LA at Alice. We'll put out a yep. growth release that, that describes our uh, 2023, which was a fantastic year. Uh, a couple weeks later, we'll release fourth quarter earnings. And uh, I'm really excited to tell our 2023 growth story. Uh, we we did a security analyst conference down in South Beach a couple months ago and uh, talked in, in really confident terms about returning the company to mid-single-digit net unit growth on the industry's biggest base. And I don't see anything out there that gives me any um, lack of confidence in our ability to do that. We think we have the right portfolio of brands. We think we have the right owner and franchisee community. Uh, and so we're really enthusiastic about our growth prospects. And we're excited about not only the breadth of the pipeline, but the volume of the pipeline that's under construction and what we're seeing around the world. Um, you look at the pace of growth we're seeing across Asia Pacific, uh, what we're seeing in some of the European and Middle East markets, across the Caribbean, um, the, the investments that Jim Sullivan made 30 years ago in really planting the flag, opening these international development offices, uh, investing in local resources that really understand the business climate, that, that understand who the players are in those markets, have paid remarkable dividends for us. Do you have, yeah, I've, I've, you put it, the infrastructure in place and then let it go. Exactly yeah, right. That's right. And, uh, and you know this well. I mean, at its core, real estate is a local business. And yeah. uh, when I got the development job back in 2009, it was interesting, particularly when you looked at our international development team, I'd say 40 or 50 percent was expat. And, you know, that was the old model back in the early 2000s. Yeah. As you traveled around the world, you saw lots of Brits and lots of Germans populating these offices. 
And I had this fundamental belief that real estate at its core was local. And so now when you travel around the world, at least to our international offices, more than 90% of our transactors are living and working in their home countries and their home regions. Yeah, having great. that local market expertise has been extraordinarily impactful to what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think you have to have that moving forward. You okay. can't just export. You can't just show up with a bunch of money and think you're going to get it done in, in a lot of these markets and countries around the world, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I know you're busy. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Uh, I love you and I can chat forever. Let's keep doing it. Um, am I going to see you in March at the Hunter Absolutely. Conference? I can't wait. Looking forward I to getting you. down to Atlanta. Looking forward to spend a little time on your stage. And uh, more importantly, uh, celebrating what you and the team have created. I mean, that conference has really turned into a um, really impactful forum for our industry. So thank you and congratulations. Uh, you're kind. I'm going to give my father and the team all the credit and my brother all the credit for uh, what they're doing. But I, and I'm very biased, but I agree. It's us, right? It's us. It's the developers. It's really the hoteliers that come together every year. Well, must I, be we hear... You're spending all your time down in Mexico, apparently. <laughs> Somebody's got to come keep everybody in line. Well, Somebody's we appreciate do it. the business. It's nice that you're uh, you're talking to me from one of our shiny new resorts. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'm paying rent great, too. So thanks for that. We thanks appreciate for that. it. <laughs> uh, Tony, you're a good friend. Thank you. Please uh, keep doing everything you're doing for the industry. Please keep leading Marriott. I'll see you at Alice, and then I'll see you at our conference in March. Look forward to it. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, G. Thanks, thanks Tony.